0: Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. In a previous podcast, I told you about a couple, a man and woman, who were shot while in their bed, their children in their nearby bedrooms, because they got involved with a fisherman who accidentally caught a kilo of cocaine while fishing off the Florida Keys and decided to sell it. And they were going to tell on him, so they extorted him and they got shot. Well, it's quite often that drugs wash ashore or get caught by fishermen. But also, there's been a lot of bad people helping the cocaine cartels out of Colombia to bring their product through Florida and then distribute it through the United States. You've got the infamous Medellin cartel. I also told you about Carlos Later and Pablo Escobar. Later actually helped Escobar to expand his drug empire by going to the air. He flew airplanes into Miami from a key called Norman's Key. And these murderous, ruthless men had a highly successful drug trafficking trade. We mostly think of drug kingpins as men, but there was one woman, Griselda Blanco. She was known as the godmother of cocaine, also the black widow. She was five feet tall and fat, 165 pounds. But boy, was she terrifying. Everyone feared her. Columbia-born Griselda Blanco was a high-level operative in the infamous Medellin cartel known for trafficking coke in the major urban centers like miami florida and she was known for her murderous ways in fact she killed all her husbands that's why she was known as the black widow and she also invented the drive-by shooting especially a guy in a motorcycle with a mac 10 who pulled up next to a car and opened fire and then took off the drive-by and when she did order killing she ordered that everyone in the family be killed including their pets and then she would order that all the blood be drained from the body and that it be slit open and the abdomen emptied so it could be folded up into a package, and then she sent the body to her rivals. This way, she instilled fear. She was a woman. She was 5 feet tall, 165 pounds, so she had to show no fear. She may have been small in stature, but she was a big, nasty bitch. She invented some of the techniques that became standard smuggling and murdering methods, and she's alleged to have been responsible for the deaths of at least two of her husbands. Her first husband was Carlos Trujillo, and together they had three sons, Dixon, Uber, yes, like the ride-sharing app, and Osvaldo, and all of them were poorly educated. Eventually, she had Uber run her drug trafficking business out of Miami, and all of them were killed in Colombia after being deported following prison sentences in the United States. They were, you know, good kids. Her second husband was Alberto Bravo. And in 1975, Blanco confronted Bravo, who was also her business partner in a Bogota nightclub parking lot, about millions of dollars that she found were missing from the profits of the cartel they'd built together. And according to police, Blanco, who was 32 at the time, pulled out a pistol, Bravo responded by producing an Uzi submachine gun, and after a blazing gun battle, he and six bodyguards lay dead. Blanco who suffered only a minor gunshot wound at the stomach, recovered and soon afterward moved to Miami, where her body count and reputation for ruthlessness continued to climb. Blanco had her youngest son, and get this, his name was Michael Corleone Blanco. She named him after the son of the Godfather. Wow, played by Al Pacino. <clears throat> My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head and my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. My name is Michael Corleone Blanco. I'm the youngest son of Garzada Blanco. She was known as the queen of cocaine, La Doña, the godmother, the black widow. My family ran the cocaine business. My mother invented the modern-day cocaine trade as we know it. That was an excerpt of an interview with Michael Corleone Blanco on VH1's Cartel Crew from this year. Griselda had Michael with her third husband, Dario Sepulveda, and he left her in 1983, returned to Colombia, and kidnapped Michael Corleone when he and Blanco disagreed over who would take custody while Blanco paid to have Sepulveda assassinated in Colombia and have her son returned to her in Miami. And before Michael reached adulthood, His father and older siblings had all been killed. And then, of course, Griselda was in prison for most of his childhood and teenage years, and he was raised by his maternal grandmother and legal guardians. So Blanco was bisexual, openly bisexual, and court records show that she was a drug addict. She consumed vast quantities of basuco, which is a potent form of smokable, unrefined cocaine. It made her batshit crazy. She would make people have sex at gunpoint. It also made her very paranoid. That's why she eventually left Miami and went to California. And she had frequent bisexual orgies. Her favorite possessions included that emerald and gold MAC-10 machine pistol, Eva Perone's pearls, and a tea set once owned by the Queen of England. The report continues, in court it was revealed that Blanco killed three former husbands as well as strippers and business rivals and innocent bystanders including a four-year-old boy. But despite all this ruthlessness, her youngest son Michael Corleone Blanco said that she became a born-again Christian and she had a personal relationship with a woman named Anna Cruz whom she loved as her daughter. But Anna cut ties with her when she found out who Blanco really was. But her distribution network that emanated from Miami spanned the United States brought in $80 billion a month. Her violent business style brought government scrutiny to South Florida. Even President Reagan began the South Florida Drug Interdiction Task Force. The South Florida Task Force, which we established under the leadership of Vice President George Bush, has, in the opinion of virtually all knowledgeable observers, been highly successful in slowing the illegal flow of drugs into the United States. This all led to the demise of her organization and the freewheeling high-profile Miami drug scene of those times. Cocaine built the Miami skyline, literally. It's also believed she took part in something called the Dadeland Massacre. The Dadeland Mall is one of the oldest and best-known malls in South Florida. And she had hired these cocaine cowboys, as they were called, to drive up in a delivery van that actually had thick bullet proof walls and it backed in in front of a liquor store where her rivals were inside they opened the back of the van and just started shooting during broad daylight in the middle of the day at the liquor store killing her two rivals inside. And they were firing back as well as people were shopping and running around. So law enforcement named them the cocaine cowboys because this type of killing happened all too often in Miami. And it really became like the Wild West steeped in coke. Cocaine deaths in Dade County have now jumped to about two a week. Shotguns, Uzi, handguns. It was the beginning of a war. A Blanco was the godmother of the cocaine trade one mean lady. She likes us to cut people up in little pieces, put them in a small box with a little ball on top. She says, that's the way I do my things. You have five people killed here, three people killed here, mass murder. Miami was the most dangerous place on earth. They called them the Cocaine Cowboys. They called them the Cocaine Cowboys. Cocaine Cowboys. That's part of the Cocaine Cowboy's official trailer that was released in 2006. It's a drug documentary movie. It showed in graphic detail the deadly cocaine trafficking that emanated from Miami. to my friend! In 1984, Blanco's willingness to use violence against her Miami competitors or anyone else who displeased her led her rivals to make repeated attempts to assassinate her. And because she made the big mistake of using her own product, she became very paranoid and worried about her rivals and assassination. That's why she took her youngest son, Michael Corleone, and moved to California. But everything for Griselda started in Medellin, Colombia, where 80% of the cocaine is produced. Griselda Blanco was born in Cartagena, Colombia in 1943. She was raised by an abusive mother, and she turned to a life of crime and prostitution at a young age because she saw that other people were making money by committing crime. So she was a pickpocket, a thief, and then she became a prostitute until she met her first husband, who made counterfeit passports. That's how they were able to travel from Colombia to New York. They moved to Queens. And members of the cartel were able to smuggle large quantities of cocaine across the border using special undergarments that Blanco had designed and manufactured because she had a lingerie business back in Colombia. So instead of the usual, taking the drugs across the border in a car, she was able to put kilos of cocaine on women. They would wear it in their bra and underpants on flights from Colombia to New York, and it was distributed from there. It was ingenious. So in the mid-70s, Blanco left Colombia for New York, By this time, the infamous drug trafficker was running a massive narcotics ring. Her standing in the industry was really rising to the level of other kingpins like Pablo Escobar. And the DEA was on her trail as part of a wide-ranging investigation termed Operation Banshee. So in 1975, after authorities intercepted a reported 150 kilograms of cocaine, actually it was inside a shipment of furniture it was in between the slats the wooden slats of the furniture the dogs lit on the furniture and they went ah there's cocaine in here so 30 of her partners were indicted on federal drug conspiracy charges and she was as well but she fled because she had a private jet ready and fueled on 24-hour notice to fly her back to Columbia and get her out of Dodge And then it wasn't long before she then returned to the U.S., this time to Miami, where she would flourish. Throughout her time in the United States, Blanco's continued involvement in the Colombian drug trade led to her participation in several other crimes, including the drive-by shootings. As I described, she would have her guy on a motorcycle with a Mac-10 ride up next to a vehicle with her rival inside and just open fire. And other murders motivated by drugs, money, power... She also killed her husbands. By the late 70s, detectives had linked her to dozens of murders, including that 1979 drug rival shooting at the Miami liquor store at the Dadeland Mall. But she was always able to manage to evade authorities. So in the 1980s, Blanca was living comfortably in a newly purchased home in Miami. And by this time, the infamous drug trafficker had become a millionaire and had taken on various nicknames, including the Godmother, Cocaine Queen, Black Widow, However, her luck finally ran out February 1985 when she was captured by DEA agents in Irvine, California. She had actually turned the business over to her sons. She had Uber running the drug trade in Miami, and she took Michael Corleone with her to Irvine to kind of be incognito and be a mom. And she was lying in bed reading the Bible, when the DEA raid team entered her home and she stood up and they cuffed her and took her in. There was a gun on the bedside table as well, but she didn't put up a fight. So Blanco's trial began in New York in June of 1985, and it ended with a conviction on one count of conspiracy to manufacture, import, and distribute cocaine in the United States. And despite being accused of several Florida slings, She escaped murder charges and was sentenced to 15 years behind bars. And in 1994, Blanco, who was in a federal prison, was transported back to Miami on three murder charges. And in a strange turn of events, however, the case was thrown out. The star witness in the case, it was a former hitman for Blanco named Jorge Riva Ayala. And he became romantically involved with a secretary in the Florida State Attorney's Office. And they were having phone sex conversations. So it caused prosecutors to worry about the credibility of Ayala's testimony on the stand. Some speculated that Ayala botched the case on purpose. He feared that he would be killed by members of Blanco's cartel if he did testify. So Blanco ended up pleading guilty to three murder charges and Roy Black, the infamous attorney that represented William Kennedy Smith here in Palm Beach on rape charges, he actually made a deal without the prosecutors knowing it with the judge and she received a 10-year prison sentence. And in 2004, she was released from prison and deported back to Colombia, where in September 2012, at the age of 69 and looking rather fat... She was shot in the head by a guy in a motorcycle outside a butcher shop. She died at the Cardizo Butcher Shop on 29th Street in a Medellin neighborhood where a former madrina was gunned down after a life of drugs and murder. Her last act on earth was buying $150 worth of meat. In fact, here's an excerpt of a phone conversation between Griselda Blanco and her younger boyfriend, Charles Cosby, right before she was shot to death. I mean, just always know what you're doing ahead of time, you know. Mm-hmm. I love you, too. Oh, you do? I remember you today, tomorrow, forever. No, that's, that's good to hear. I love you so much. I love you, too. Yeah, but I, I, I love you always, okay? Most, most kisses, okay? Okay, Griselda. Okay, baby. Okay. Okay. The cocaine trade pioneer who made her mark by bloodying Miami's streets died the same way she was arrested in 1985, with a Bible placed on her chest. Apparently, Blanco found religion in her later years, but at the same time, you can't bring a Bible to a gunfight. In 2016, it was announced that HBO was developing a film about Blanco's life with Jennifer Lopez attached to Star. And the following year, Lifetime, also threw its hat into the ring with a biopic titled The Cocaine Godmother, with Catherine Zeta-Jones on board as the character of Griselda. Many were surprised that her Avengers let her live so long. She was five feet tall and very fat, 165 pounds, but she had outlived most of them. Because of her legal past, she spent a lot of time in prison as well, and of those people who were left and who were part of the drug trade, they really didn't care about her anymore. In fact, Blanca would walk freely in the streets without bodyguards or ostentatious displays of money. She shopped at the corner butcher shop and the workers were unaware of her brutal past. In fact, the morning after her murder, the butcher shop was open again, busy with customers, and there was no sign of the execution the day before. And that wraps up Full Rigor for this episode. I'm Karen Curtis. Until next time. Peloton, let's go! This holiday...